It's very good to be back at Ellerslie and, and to, to give you an update um, of what we've been doing. Ellerslie has been partnering with me for 23 years. As we went out to Portugal, as I went out to Portugal, I went out as a single missionary and come back to you 21 years later, married with a family. And um, I've left half of the family in the Renew side. And so, um, Renew, first of all, my apologies, you have the two boys, you have Joshua and Caleb, um, but I'm sure they're behaving themselves and loving what they're hearing over there. I think it's really unique. I was able to, to take a, a look at the, at the auditorium and just how it's set up, so that's fantastic. And with me is, of course, João, my husband, and we celebrated a few weeks ago our 18th anniversary. So it's fun to be here, and my, my cousins are here today as well. Um, so it's just great to be amongst family and to, to share this time together. I think probably in this room, a lot of you knew, have known me even since my time with Lone Prairie, which takes us back several years. Some of you have been on this journey with me for the last 21 years. Some of you have, uh, have just seen me around, and some of you are just meeting me for the first time today, and I'm willing to bet that most of the people in the Renew side of things, this is our first opportunity to meet. So before we jump into the, into the Bible and talking more about life in Portugal, I thought I would share with you some of the things that we are involved in and with in Portugal. And today our topic actually, um, I, I love your series on the weather report, and so I'm playing off of that. Um, is climate. I've chosen climate uh, to be my theme for this morning because climate really does affect a lot of things. My climate is different than your climate. And one of the big things that I've been hearing since I've been to Canada is this whole concept and this whole topic of climate. What is the perfect climate? Is there a perfect climate? And, and is, this, is it the same climate for us all? And if it's not the same climate for us all, then which one should we be choosing? And I want to answer that question as we work through today's topic and our, and our Bible passage that we'll use. But first, what's my climate? Um, the first thing that would be very noticeable is that my climate is clearly warmer than your climate. Um, I, I didn't really realize the difference between Portuguese climate and Canadian climate. I've been there for a long time, but I was really convinced that if I came back from June to September that I would get summer. <laughs> but apparently that has changed since, since I was in Lisbon because um, I, I haven't had summer yet, but I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> Lisbon is much warmer. Portugal is much warmer than Canada. It looks a lot different. Portugal is the oldest uh, European country with, with form, formated or formed borders and established borders. And if you come there, you'll see a very ancient city, the city of Lisbon. Our coastline would be full of white sandy beaches. You would see up on the hillside and on the coast very white cities with, with red roofs. It's very, very beautiful. You would see in every town a massive church, which reminds us all of its very Catholic history over the last 800 years. However, lots of those churches, as the years have gone by, are becoming more emptier and emptier as people feel abandoned or let down by the faith that they once had. And some of the need that they once felt from the local church is now seen as unnecessary. 
The average temperature of the Portuguese people I would describe as warm at the surface, cooling as you get closer, and then very warm at the center. And what I mean about that is if you go to Portugal as a tourist, you will feel that the Portuguese are the kindest, most loving, most helpful people in the world, and they really are. The Portuguese love foreigners. They love when they come, they love to, to show them their country, they love to feed them, they love to do all sorts of things with them, which is a, has been a great help um, as far as tourism is concerned, and that's really what's dragged Portugal out of its economic decline that hit starting in 2009. So tourism is huge in Portugal, and in that sense, very helpful. But if you stay around longer, you'll find a very, very different look to the Portuguese, and this is where they start to get cooler the closer that you get. The Portuguese feel, like I said, a bit abandoned from their religion, and they feel that it's let them down, so they're suspicious of religion and religious people, and so they keep you at, a, at an arm's length. They also suffered 40 years of dictatorship, and during those 40 years, they were taught not to trust anyone, and so they have a hard time letting people come into their core circle. But once you get past that, then you will find a very, very warm place. You will find people who love to think deeply about things, who are passionate about their families and committed to their country and want to see the best for the world in which they live. And they're great people. And once you get into that inner circle, you will have a friend for life. And so this is our climate. This is what we've been asked where we've been asked to live, to dig in deep, to, to spread our roots and our branches. So how do we do it? What are we producing? And for me, it's really in five areas. And a lot of you who have been following us for a long time will recognize some of these areas. Well, the first area, the main area of my ministry is with my husband and with my two boys. And I think that's always, as moms and dads, that's where our, our main mission call is, is to make sure that our families are together, that our kids are safe and healthy and are growing. And so um, João, João is here with me. He's got some things that he's working on that if you go to our table in the back, he'll tell you all about. Joshua is now 14, and he's going into grade 9, and Caleb is 12, going into grade 7, and they're full of energy and life, and they'll also be at the back table and really happy to tell you about what life is like for them in Portugal. Then, as far as ministry is concerned, one of the number one areas where I work is Meeting Point. And Meeting Point is our local church. And it was a very small church of 14 people, which has now grown to about 50. And it's very much like Ellerslie, maybe this room, <laughs> maybe this aisle. It's a small church, but we have the same passion that you have. And that's to make sure that Jesus is central in our lives, but that it doesn't just stop here, but that Jesus goes forth into the community where we've been planted, so that everyone in our area called Estoril would have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and make a decision for him. So that's what we work on, and that's where I spend a lot of my time. The other and probably the longest area of ministry that I do is with this organization, this is actually what I went over to do 21 years ago, and it's to work with the GBU, Grupo Biblico Universitario. In Canada, we call this InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's the same group. And I'm pretty passionate about the GBU because of what we have on all of our T-shirts and sweatshirts and all of our publicity. It says it's a faith that thinks and a reason that believes. And growing up in the church, I never... 
I never gave my faith much of a thought. It was a cultural thing. It was a mom and dad thing. It was just something that we did as a family. And it was only in my later teens, when I was about 17 or 18, that I really had to start thinking through my faith and making my faith mine. Did I believe what, I, what I've been taught to believe? What is truth? What's not truth? And in this day where everything is changing, where worldviews are colliding more than ever, it's my passion to help university students really think through their faith, to think through their world's view. Now, I do a lot less, actually, with students and more with staff and volunteers. And I run a one-year mentoring program that I'd love to talk to you about if you have any interest in mentoring that helps people spend time in the Word of God, time developing their spiritual gifts and, and practicing spiritual disciplines so that they can have space in their lives and in their churches to think through their faith and to watch it grow. I also work with this organization called CCA, Growing with Friends. Um, that would be its English translation, translation. And it's an opportunity, it's a church-based organization that works with and aids the public school system with the most behaviorally challenged kids in school, in elementary school. So, so schools will come to us and say, we've got these children, could you provide mentors for them? One mentor with one child, one hour a week. And so we, as churches all across Lisbon, right now it's just in Lisbon, work to provide support for behaviorally challenged kids in the school system to make sure that they don't drop out, to make sure that somebody is listening to them, somebody they know that loves them and cares for them and cares about their academic career and also their lives. And the final area that I work is the European Evangelical Alliance. And that's probably the most dynamic area where I work because of the changing face of Europe. I don't know if you've heard this small thing called Brexit. It's kind of causing a stir in Europe. And the European Evangelical Alliance is, is there to work through European issues with a Christian worldview, to work with individual countries to make sure that their churches are growing and established, not as fortresses and castles, but as bridges and places where the world can safely meet Jesus. We have an office in Brussels where we have a, a door to talk to the European Parliament, and there we were a strong lobby group for freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And we, in this last year, have had to intervene at least three times with the European Union because certain countries in Europe have tried to take and remove freedom of religion and freedom of speech from their countries subtly um, in, in, their, in their constitutions. If you'd like to talk more and find out more about that, then you can talk to me afterwards. So Ellerslie has been part of all of this for 23 years. And even if you're the first time meeting me, you're a part of this. Because when I first went out, I said, I really don't want people just to give me money. I really want partners. And Ellerslie was one of the first churches to say, that's what we want too. We want to partner with you in this. We want to walk with you. And so over the last 23 years, besides finances, you have stood with us in prayer and you've helped us stay on the field through your prayers and your dedication and commitment. But you didn't stop there. You send us emails and encouraging letters. And every time we come back, to Edmonton, we're supported with love and friendships, friendships that encourage us and support us, but also challenge us to say, hey, what are you reading? What are you learning? Are you sure that's the right way to go? And all of those things are amazing for us and make us feel not like visitors to Ellerslie, but like this is one of our special, comfortable home places to be, where we can be rooted and established also in the word. 
If you want to know more, like I keep saying, about all of this, come see us at the back at the end. If you want to be on our prayer letter list, which is very much not letterish, but more sharing of my thoughts, then also talk to us in the back, uh, at, the back at the end. But now let's get on to what I really want to talk about, uh, the topic of climate and what that looks like in Portugal, and especially in the passage that we're going to be looking at and consider. It's one of Jesus's most famous discussions and talks with his disciples, John chapter 15. So if you have your Bible with you, you can either open it or turn it on, however you have, um, have it with you. I have mine digitally. And just open it to John chapter 15, and we're going to just set it aside for now. We'll read it in just a few minutes. But I have learned a lot from John chapter 15 since living in Portugal. I don't, I don't think the teaching in John 15 is, is particularly difficult. It might be more difficult to put into practice. But there were things that escaped me growing up on the prairies and now living in, a, in one of Europe's most important wine-producing countries. So I've had lots of opportunity to, to see vineyards, to work in a vineyard, and to see what it's really like. And that has made John 15 kind of burst forth. And I've understood its principles, why Jesus would use this example and then translate it into the lives of his disciples. So today we're going to spend some time walking through a vineyard. We're going to consider several variables of the vineyard, including the climate and the soils. And all of these things are going to affect wine production. And those same variables looked at from a spiritual point of view will also affect what we are supposed to be producing in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look and make some observations as we go. So before we read the text, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of some general observations that I've made about vineyards in Portugal. And the first one was, for me, the most amazing one, and that was arriving in Portugal and seeing for the first time in my life a vineyard. As we were driving down the highway, and you, you do this on any highway in Portugal because vineyards are all over the place, I thought they were incredibly beautiful. Rows and rows and rows, I mean, they can go on for kilometers, of these perfectly straight lines of green, dotted with green grapes or red grapes, and, and zooming by them, I thought, that looks absolutely amazing. And the more I reflected on the time that I spent in the early days of zooming down highways and seeing vineyards, I thought, I wonder how often we actually do that with one another's lives. You know, as we zoom past one each, each other's lives and we look at one another, we think, your life looks pretty good, actually. In fact, your life looks much more beautiful than mine because anything going by at a great speed looks pretty good. And so here's the second thing and my second observation about vineyards. Vineyards look a lot different when you're standing in the middle of them. So Joan's parents had vineyards, and I, I was asked one year if I wanted to come and help on the vineyard, and I, I was so excited. So I, I dressed for working in the vineyard, or at least my Canadian understanding of working in a vineyard. I put on my lovely sundress with beautiful little sandals because I was just going to float through the vineyard, clip grapes, put them in my white basket, put them on my shoulder, and you know, kind of waltz them. Well, not waltzing because we're Baptists. Walking them to, to where we would put them in a small little barrel and stomp on them. Well, then I got into the vineyard, and I was the only one that was kind of dressed like that. Everybody looked terrible. And then I realized why. Because standing in the middle of a vineyard, things look really, really different. 
I mean, those beautiful clusters of grapes that you see hanging when you're, when you're driving by, it's true, some of, them, some of them look amazing. What you don't see is that right behind them, there's a moldy, kind of rotten cluster of grapes. And those beautiful straight lines of vines, when you have to put your arm in those, like they rip your skin. And so I quickly changed clothing and put on full army gear, ready to work the vineyard. And you just don't kind of, you don't kind of clip them lightly out. You have to really use force to cut out grapes. And grapes are sweet and really juicy. And what likes sweet juice? Ants. So the second you put your hand to get a nice cluster of grapes, there's like a million ants all over you. And they don't stop at your arm. They go everywhere. And this was my glamorous first day on the vineyard. And I thought, there's a lot of truth here too. When we stop and look at each other's lives, when we stop to look at our own lives, it doesn't look quite as perfect, does it? If you look at my life close up, you're going to see some very different things that really aren't so lovely. So my very perfect family, as you zoom by, is actually full of four very egocentric people who have arguments, who, while in the car, five minutes from, from Kaylee and Des's house to Ellerslie, had an argument. But then we cleaned it all up as we stepped through the doors. It'll resume when we get back to the car. <laughs> but that's real life. If you come to my house, you'll be like, wow, that's such a lovely house, but please don't run your fingers along the shelves or look too carefully in the corners. And my ministry, I mean, you read my letters, I'm up here and I'm talking about the great things that we're doing. Do you have any idea how many times I've absolutely bombed? Where I've said something I shouldn't have said? Where somebody has walked away from the Lord and I couldn't, I couldn't bring them back? How many times that I've, I've just felt like a total failure? Those things don't make newsletters. But when you stop in the middle of my life, you'll see that they're there. And so yes, from a distance, my life looks pretty nice. And yours too. But if we stop, if we allow people to stop in our lives, what are they going to see? My second observation has to do with the climate and then the, the next one would be soil. And so there's our timeless question. What is the perfect climate? And we're often tempted to think that the perfect climate is the one where other people are. <laughs> So either you like it um, colder or you like it hotter. So the perfect climate is exactly where you are not. But the truth is, there is no perfect climate. Climate is neutral because it really depends on what you want to grow and what you want to produce. Different climates produce different things. So there is a reason why this is here. Just a disclaimer, no wine will be opened and consumed nor sold anywhere near the building. But it's here for a very specific purpose. Because I wanted to show you some truths. So I have, oh, I'm supposed to show you this because Joan put this here very carefully so I wouldn't forget. Yeah, this is our prayer card, they're new, they're in the back as well. Um, these two wines, this is port wine. This is a vintage port wine. And this is what we call vigne verde or green wine. They are grown in the same region of Portugal, but they are extremely different wines. Their climate 
is very different, although they're from the same region. This is a very rich, fortified wine, very sweet. And this is a very dry wine, and it's bubbly. So a farmer or an agriculture or an agriculturalist in Portugal never asks, what is the perfect climate? Because that's the wrong climate, or that's a wrong question, because each of these wines has been bottled, or in this case, boxed, because it's been grown in their perfect climate. So you can't think, where am I tempted, or you can't be tempted to think, um, what if I were in a different place? Maybe that would be better. Maybe my climate isn't well. Maybe I need a different job, or, or I should be living in a different city. Maybe I need a different husband or a different wife. Maybe, maybe my, it's my children. Maybe I, I need different children. But the truth is, it's the wrong perspective. Like somebody who's growing wine, it would be the wrong question to say, what is the perfect climate? They don't ask what the perfect climate is. The question really is, what a wine producer will ask, is what do I want to produce? Or what can I produce in the climate where I am? And so our question is, the, um, the better way to analyze where we're living and what our climate is, is to ask ourselves, what does Jesus want to produce in me? Where I'm at. Soils also make a big difference. So back to these two wines. It's not only climate, but soil. This one grows in rocky soil, and it's acidic. And this one grows beside the, by a river, the, the River Duru, and it's highly fertile. Green wine will never grow where this one grows. And this, this wine will never grow where this one is. But both of them have to have good soil. Soil for them, soil that makes sense for them. And all of our soils have to be good soils. And the first thing that you'll notice in Portugal is our soil is really rocky. And in order to grow anything in Portugal, you first have to take out the rocks. For all of these wines, you have to take out the biggest rocks. What are our rocks? What are the things that are sitting in our lives that are stopping us from growing? What, is, what, are, we, what are we banging our roots again? against that are, that are stealing our nutrients? Is it stress? Is it overworking? Is it a bad habit? What is it? If you don't remove rocks out of soil, you're not going to produce wine. And if we don't allow Jesus to remove the rocks in our lives, we're also not going to produce. In order to have a healthy vineyard, you have to have healthy soil for it to grow in. So when was the last time any of us really checked our soil? Is, is the Holy Spirit sometimes tapping us and saying, see that rock there? Do you feel that rock? Let me get rid of it. But a lot of times we like to hold on to those rocks because although they're stopping us from growing, they're pretty comfortable and we're just used to them being there. If you want to produce, you need to get rid of the rocks. Then the last observation I have before we get into our text, and it's a wake-up call for both winemakers and us. The byproduct of a vineyard, the wine, comes from cutting, separating, crushing, stomping, and filtering. And this is a part of the process that's complicated and painful. The byproducts of our lives in Christ, our Christian, our Christian maturity, are, are becoming more and more like Jesus in our conviction and in our, in our action, also comes the same way. 
usually through pain and suffering, tough times, frustration, and sorrow. Yes, there are great times, and there is joy and happiness and laughter and delight, and I am thankful that we have those times in our lives. But it seems to me in my life that I have grown the most and I have produced the best things in my life when I have had to struggle, when I've been thrown off balance. So be prepared as a winemaker, not to pick grapes and suddenly voila, you have wine, but to pick and develop grapes and then go through a very difficult process. And the same in our Christian lives. Be prepared, count the cost, Jesus said, because it's a painful journey to get us into where he wants us, to be producing what he wants us to produce. But now we know what we want. We know what we want to produce. We have the the climate that that we've been given. And now we have to start, start growing. We've removed our rocks. And now we need to turn our attention to the vines. And you consider the vine in a vineyard because you aren't planted. So you actually think branches. And this is where we need to step into John 15, 1 to 7. Because vineyards are never planted. They're grafted. And that was a big lesson for me coming from the prairies. We're not planted like we do a crop. We're grafted. So let's go to John 15. And we're going to read the first 17 verses. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you all of this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I am the vine and you are the branches. And as Christians, we're not on our own. Jesus is the vine and we are all grafted into it. And the crazy thing that I learned about vineyards is that into one vine, you can graft in several varieties of grapes. In all of these wines, they're on this table 
because they're all blends. And to make some of the best wine in the country, it comes from blending different types of grapes together. That's what gives it its great color. That's what gives it its great flavor. And it all looks different. And some of them are vintage, and some of them are more tabley wines, but they, they're all top sellers because of the variety of grapes. And it's really like the church. We've all been grafted into the same vine. And we're special in God's kingdom and in this church, not because we're all the same, but exactly because we're all different. We're different ages, and we're different colors, and we're different backgrounds, and we have different experiences, and we are different economic um, situations in our lives, and that doesn't make us good or bad. It makes us rich. It makes us vintage, because all of our differences, crushed and put together, come with an incredible product that makes us amazing, because we have an excellent winemaker. It's beautiful mix. It's a mix that I love to think about. So the wines that I brought actually come from different regions and serve different purposes and, and have different prices. So I told you about this one. This is a rather expensive bottle of wine. This is a port wine, a dessert wine. We'd serve this at a very special occasion, usually after, after a meal at a wedding. You would have this with dark chocolate, maybe even some cheese. This one would be served at a wedding. It's a table wine, but it's a reserve, which means it's one of, one of the top wines in Portugal. And this would be only served at a very special meal, like, again, a wedding or at Christmas or at Easter. This is also a table wine, but this would make it to the table almost every day. So the Portuguese will serve wine um, twice, twice a day, at lunch and at supper. And so this is a mid-priced wine, a good wine, but one that would show up every day. And this is, again, the green wine. Again, this is probably the cheapest wine on the table. Um, bubbly, served cold. It would be mostly served in the summertime. Up in the north, they'll drink this every day. In fact, like Coca-Cola, this is actually served in the north on tap. And then these little guys, no, they're not juice boxes. These are wine. These little guys are about 50 cents. It's cooking wine. This is how we buy our cooking wine. This is white cooking wine, and this is red cooking wine. There wouldn't, be a ta there wouldn't be a house in Portugal that would not have all of these wines at any given time because they're all important. I can't tell you which one is more important than the other because I have them all. Because you need to have them all for different occasions. And it's the same with us. Some of us walk around feeling like boxed wine when we wish we were a vintage bottle. But I would use this one far more than I would ever use this one. So what's most important? Everything is important. There is not a person in this church that isn't extremely important. It doesn't matter how big you are or how little, how old or how young, how gifted you feel or useless you feel. You are essential. Just like every bottle here is essential to us, you are essential here. And there's no need for this box of wine to feel inferior to this bottle. It's cheaper, but it's used more. These wines don't compete with one another. They each serve their purpose, just like we do. But none of this will matter. No grape will matter. No grape will hit these wine bottles unless a very important process happens, and it's the most uncomfortable one. And the one that Jesus talks about 
if you caught it earlier on, and that's the pruning process. And I don't like the pruning process, by the way. First of all, it's messy and it hurts. Because you will see these beautiful vines that, that the, the farmer will go through and just hack apart. And why does he do that? Because he knows a lot more about wine than I do. But all the beauty of a vineyard with all its green lusciousness actually robs the plant of nutrients. All the nutrients then go to make the beautiful green leaves. And what does the farmer want? A bottle of green leaves? No, he wants it all to go to the fruit. So a good farmer will prune away what's dead, what's diseased, and what are weeds. Because the dead stuff doesn't make any sense anywhere. The disease will destroy your vineyard and everybody else's. And weeds are just a pain. And in our lives too, there are times in my ministry over the last 21 years where God said, I need to cut that out because it is dead. It wasn't that it was bad. It's just ran its time and now it's gone. And it hurt to get that cut out. That was part of my identity. I had allowed it to become a part of my identity. And he said, it's got to go. So I have been on the Parents' Association and I, I was um, on, a, on several different boards and God said to each one of them, time to go, time to go. And I hurt on each one. But then all of us also have those weeds and I have those weeds too. Character things in my life that Jesus said, those really need to go. Because when you're angry and bitter and when you're not forgiving people and when you've got that sin, you might think it's sticking in you, but Connie, those sins are spreading out into your church and into your family and they have to go. And they aren't just cut out, they're burned. They need to burn and be destroyed. Because if left close to enough to us, they'll come back on us and we'll pick them up again and relive it. And of course, weeds things that don't belong there, maybe things from our past that we've just kind, kind of kept low, but they're there, they, they need to go too. But you know what the worst kind of pruning is? And Jesus talks about it too. It's the pruning of the good stuff. The pruning of the stuff that looks so good. And he's had to do that in my life as well. Ministry that was growing, that was flourishing, and he said, uh, that's gotta go, and why? Well, sometimes it's because I got really comfortable there and I didn't, I didn't need him anymore because I was good on my own. And he said, actually, you need to be grafted into me. You can't float off on your own because a branch away from, from the vine dies. So if that's what's going to stop me from dying off, he cut it. And then sometimes there, because I love to be busy, I would, I would take on all of this stuff and so two things started to happen. Because I was doing all of this stuff, it meant that some of the other branches couldn't do anything because I was in their way. And Jesus said, uh-uh. You're taking other people's nutrients. You're taking away their job. And they're not growing because you're doing it all. So stop, snip. And other times he said, you know, good job. You're, you're growing, your grapes are growing, but I don't want good grapes. I want great ones, snip. And those are hard times because we like to write nice reports and we like to tell people all the things we're involved in. But it might not be producing the best. It might be producing what's good. But none of these were bottled because they were good. All of these were bottled because they were great. What do we want to produce? Good or great? And so you might also wonder then, as kind of the last thing I want to tell you, why, two things. The first thing is why do I have a plant on the table? Is it just to look pretty? 
No. But before I tell you that, I want to talk to you about the most painful part of a vineyard and the painful part about walking the walk that we walk. And it has to do with climate. This wine, which is a vintage wine, and this, this wine, which is a reserve, or a 10-year tawny, so it's, it's, it's a pretty important wine, these would have both grown in drought. The best wine-producing years, the wines that are most expensive, that are sold at the highest price, are always grown in a drought. When, when a vineyard has too much water, that's where disease starts to grow and then spread. That's when the leaves grow big and you get good grapes, but they're watery. When there's a drought, everything is focused on the grape. The whole plant puts everything it's got into keeping the grape alive. And so you get the best and richest grapes. I wish it wasn't so in our lives. I wish we grew in the easiest, most balmy climate that we can have. But it doesn't seem to be true, at least in my life and those that I know well. We've all grown the most in drought. When it's been harder, when we've had to focus all of our attention, not on ourselves and not on the, the things that mostly take our attention, but when we've really had to dig in and, and dig into Christ and be really grafted in tight and hard, because that's the only place we're getting our nutrients. The, the economy in 2009 was terrible. We couldn't depend on our, on our future. We couldn't depend on our present. Our church went through a major split. We couldn't even depend on, on a big group of people. We had to dig into Jesus Christ, and we grew, and we flourished. But it was hard. So then the plant. I don't know if you've ever gone through Europe and looked at vineyards, and if you've seen a movie like we did this past week. But at the end of every vineyard, every, every line, there's a rose bush. And when I first went there, I thought, well, the Europeans, they are so aesthetic. <laughs> Everything is pretty. But that's not the reason why they do it. The reason why they plant roses at the end of every row is because roses are way more sensitive than the vineyard. So when there's a disease that comes through a vineyard, the roses are going to show it first. And so a farmer will walk down his aisles and look at his roses. And if his roses are good, his vineyard will be good. But if his roses are sowing disease, he's got an, an early alert that something, there's a disease in the area, and he, now he needs to act to protect his vines. We are one another's roses in each other's vineyards. And we need to serve that way because normally the people on the outside see our problem areas earlier. And I know that this is risky business. I know that this is uncomfortable and it's not really even Canadian. But one of the things that Joao and I did when we got married is we said to three couples, be our roses. Watch us. Ask us questions. Because if, we, if you start seeing disease, we need help. We need you to tell us. And over the years, those people have changed and expanded. And they have come into our lives to say, are you watching this? I feel this. I'm seeing this in your lives and in your marriage and in your family. Are you, are you aware of this? And it saved us. But being each other's roses not only serves as a warning, but a call to action. And this is often where we fall down. Of we're quick to be able to say, there's a problem there, and then we walk away. But we also need to help one another. 
So we asked these two twin girls, be our roses for us. And one day they took it serious. <laughs> I was shocked. There were 19-year-old single girls. And after a meeting, they said, Connie, Joan, can we talk to you? And we said, sure. And I was thinking, you know, they, they had an issue they wanted to work through. And they, so we sat down. They said, you know, we love how you, how you take care of us and how you love all of us in the GBU. Um, but we've noticed something about your marriage. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> you are 19-year-old single girls. But then I remembered, okay, I had given them permission, so I bit my tongue and listened. And they said, you guys do all of this stuff. When do you ever have time with each other? And we went, oh, uh, yeah, we, we don't really. Now, most people would have called that to our attention and walked away. But these girls said, so, once a month, we will come and we will take care of your kids. And you can go away. You can go away for a night, a weekend, whatever you need. But we'll take care of your kids. That's what we need to be doing all the time. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it's scary. But woe does it do what it does for our spiritual lives and our family lives as we watch one another and help one another. So what is the best climate? Whatever climate God has chosen for you. Because he knows what he wants to produce, which is why you are where you are. Let him prune you. Let him provide people to watch for you. Let him help take out the rocks and the ugly stuff in your soil and in your vineyard. Abide in him, stick with him, be grafted in and grafted in tight and together. So that we together in this great vineyard that extends from Edmonton to Calgary, all through Alberta, BC, all through Canada, and then extends to the other side of the world into Portugal, that we're not just producing great wine, but we are a vintage crop in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. It gives us a new perspective, Jesus, when we think of ourselves as mere branches and not the whole field. It's good for me to remember that I'm a small piece and I get to join other small pieces to make your great vineyard. And what I really want to do and what I really want everybody here in, in traditions and in Renew to do is to produce what you want us to produce men and women of godly character who love you and who love others, who aren't ashamed of their faith but excited about it, who live dynamic lives, who have fun with their families, fun with each other, and share that with the world. Help us to grow strong in Jesus Christ, to be firmly grafted in, to abide Help us to care for one another to the point of taking the risk to confront one another in love, to help each other grow, to watch for the disease, to watch the difficult areas, but then help us and inspire us to be that help that they need. Help us to be vintage. Amen.